thank you for listening to Arts District. My name is Sterling Shea, and we are back. I took a little break for the month of July, and it feels really good to be behind the microphone again. Also returning to the pod today is Emily P. Faith. You may remember her episode with Lillian Jones Theater Company. She joined us today to talk about drama therapy. If you enjoy this episode, please, when we're done, go leave a written review on whatever platform you're listening to. That would be so, so appreciated. Okay, here is Emily P. Faith. Welcome back to Arts District. I love being here. Did I see that you're moving right now? Yeah, so we just moved into an apartment together, me and Matt did. So that's like a whole new thing. We started moving last Saturday. We got all of the things in yesterday. So it took us a whole week. And now he's like in there setting up stuff. Awesome. It's good. It's like we also are moving into a 650 square foot apartment. And he was in a condo and like he has a lot more stuff than I do. So we're trying to figure out how to downsize and combine our things. Yes. I just moved all of our I mean, I'm constantly purging because I love to get rid of things. Um, I don't mind it at all, but I just like rearranged our furniture this week, like every room. So it feels good. Well, that's what I keep telling myself. Like the way the living room is right now, I really don't like, but I always know like the second, the second position it's in is it eventually comes to me. And that is where it was supposed to be. (laughs) But we'll see. So what have, uh, what have the past five months looked like for you? You're still in school. So you, I guess, moved to an online format. So I was already in an online format. So my school has, they call it low residency and they have, so they have off-campus low residency and then you have on-campus students. So for us, our low residency program, I mean, the only thing that shifted is normally we go to Boston in the summer for three weeks to do our residency portion. And that has gotten postponed until January. And we'll really just see if that even happens. Um, But I was already doing online school. And so this summer I had to take, take a few classes and it's like, with gen pop and it's all these people who have never taken an online class and our teachers we have the same instructors mostly but it's funny to see like how like handholdy and nice all of the professors are like okay everyone this is online and i know it's new and difficult my cohorts like where was this like gentle nature yeah. when we were starting like, they're like you signed up for online so you get to choose it school stayed totally the same And then all my teaching that I've been doing moved to online Okay, since March. We finished out classes online. I've been running summer camps online, week-long, two-week, three-week-long summer camps online. That's tough. Aaron's been doing that too. And he's been going in, right, too? He has been going in. I would say the earlier parts of quarantine were online for several, several weeks. And it was so funny because he would be talking about you know, what he wants to happen and da, 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 da. Hey guys, this is not the time for goldfish right now. Okay. You can do that when we're done. And I'm like, <laughs> it's so true. And then it turns into like, we would have what well, the children's theater would do camps where it's like, we have an hour in the morning and then an hour and a half break. And then an hour in the afternoon. And the kids would like choose to eat lunch in the second portion. And I'm like, I need you to eat during that hour and a half that you have. But then I start feeling weird. Cause I'm like, 
I don't know what their home situation is. I don't know like food secure they are. It's very weird being in children's homes too, where I feel like I can't say too much, but it's exhausting. Yes. They love it. They seem to love it. Good. Let's get into it and talk about trauma therapy. When did you, uh, when did you first like hear the words trauma therapy? Who really not until like, so I moved to Boston after college. I lived, I went to college in Nashville and then I moved to Boston for a bit and it was up there that I have no idea. I have no idea. I might've been like on a Google search trying to figure out like, how can I be an actor, but not be poor? And that job popped up and the program I go to is in Boston. So that was like 2015. So five years ago, found the program At that time, Leslie, the school that I go to, was one of three schools in the whole North America that offers a drama therapy master's program. And now I think there's five or six. So it's still relatively new here in the States. At that time, they only had the on-campus. And I knew, like, I'm not ready to go back to school and sit in a classroom. So it really wasn't until I moved to Dallas three years ago, I was, I tell this story, I was polishing silverware at a restaurant and my bone buzzed. And it was like low residency now available for drama therapy. And I applied immediately because it was like, get me out of this restaurant. (laughs) Get me through, like, I'm done nannying. I'm done doing that. I need to go back to school. And so it was like the universe opened up and provided that. But yeah, so about five years ago. And I really, you know, most people that I meet haven't heard of it or they heard of it or about the time they were applying for school as well. It just like fell into their lap. So the money was a big motivator, like get me out of these. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that, you know, like in Boston, it's a little bit different from Dallas, but in Boston, I was able to work fully as an artist and like support myself. You know, you do the grind, you are hustling, but that was really the first and maybe only time I didn't have to have any sort of muggle job or like my schedule was, I'm a stage managing and teaching and acting, but that was all within the realm of what I wanted to do. But I think that's like, you know, it just got exhausting. Even that got exhausting of like all these things I love, but having to have so many of them to make ends meet. So yeah, totally. Money was like a, hmm, what could I tolerate that feels like it is in the same realm of what I've been doing my whole life? But yeah, has a little bit of a sturdier paycheck. And then also, I think I was growing up too and really realizing like it wasn't enough for me as an actor to be like, you're welcome for this performance. I've changed the world. Like I really felt, that's when I started teaching more. And I just felt like I want to do more. I want to do more. That's not to knock actors, but like for me, it didn't do more good. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel as fulfilling. So that's really kind of how it came to be. But yeah, money is like a huge motivator for me. (laughs) I'm not ashamed of that. (laughs) You shouldn't be. Are you from here? Where are you from? I'm from North Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay. Um, I'm from Arkansas, but my dad was in the military and we moved about for the first nine years of my life. We lived all over the world. So I didn't really, I still don't really have like a home base. How did you end up in DFW? I was in a relationship Mm. and it was a long distance one. And then I moved here and that long distance relationship ended (laughs) and the whole relationship ended, not just the long distance, the whole thing ended. So 
It was a combination of that, but I was in Little Rock doing an internship at the Arkansas Rep. They were revamping their education program. And that's a theater I grew up doing and seeing theater in. Mm -hmm. And so I did an internship for a year there and was kind of like, where's another large market that I have some connections in? So I was dating someone who lived outside of DFW and all of my college professors in Nashville were from Texas. And so they hooked me up with people at the children's theater, at the theater center. Okay. So I was just, it really, I was being pulled here. Yeah. Well, because I feel like I've run into you at Dallas Theater Center. I see that you're working at the Children's Theater. So it seems like I just assumed like you had roots here. No, I annoy the shit out of people is what I do. (laughs) My name's Emily Faith and I will be coming into town this weekend. Can I have coffee? Can I have coffee? Can I send you my resume? Like, I think the reason I got in so quickly with a lot of places is just because they were so sick and tired of me and they just placated me. And then they ended up finding out I'm not a totally insane person. I've sent some emails like that, but I need to keep it up. You just follow up. Yeah. You just call. I read something that was like, or no, it was when I was working, I was working for an education department in Boston and they were like, they just, we cold called schools to say, Hey, do you want this touring Shakespeare show? And when the emails, my supervisor was always like, tell them, ask them when a good time to call is. And then say, if I don't hear back from you, I'll call you tomorrow at three. That like pressure was like, oh shit, I'll respond to the email because I don't want to talk to you on the phone, you know? So I did things like that and it seemed to work. Cool. Okay. That's good. That's a good tip. So what, okay. What is drama therapy and how is it different than what we think of when we hear the word therapy? Well, what do you think of when you hear the word therapy, Sterling? I think of laying on the couch and (laughs) soft-spoken, like, middle-aged women. Could be that. I'm certainly... You know, I struggle with that. I'm like, oh my God, like, what's my therapy voice? A lot of nodding. Yes. Tell me more. Yeah. (laughs) Job therapy, the, the, like, lovely part, and then also really, I think, scary part for participants and therapists is that it can be anything. Um, And it's certainly not for people with a dramatic or theatrical or even artistic background, which is what I love about it. But I think... Drama therapy, it stands apart in the fact that it is as much as it can be as an embodied experience. So the saying is trauma is something that is your body is embodied. And so your healing should also be embodied. That's not to knock talk therapy, but I find drama therapy to be a lot more effective and you get to the root of things a little bit quicker or the unraveling starts quicker because you are up and you're moving. But what we do a lot of like role reversal or certainly you have your like puppets and figurines. That's not really what I'm interested in. I'm more interested in performance-based drama therapy. So whether you write a story about your trauma or your bad experience, and then you get to perform it. It's really just about like taking whatever trauma or negative experience you've had and transforming that to something that gets you to a place where you can move forward. Yeah. That's all. That's all the therapy is, but it takes a creative look at it. Cause I think we're like intrinsically creative. Like I think everyone has the ability to be creative and even us like doing this, like it's a play, it's a back and forth. It's a dialogue. Yeah. It's not, I don't know. It's just. So it, it could look like a movement piece or it could look like mass work. It could look like spoken word monologue thing. Right. And for some people that's like really up their alley. And for some people that's really freaking terrifying because 
that's not within their realm of experience. I think what I like about it is like, you can vanquish your demon. You could be the demon. We talk a lot about roles, like all the roles that you, Sterling or me, Emily, play in our lives. You get to act those out, you know, or kill the part of you that you don't like. We get to Mm. physically do it. Like I said, it's just a more effective way to work. And you can do it with individuals or in a group. And I think a lot of people think like, this is only for children. But really, grownups also like, they need to be doing this. Yeah. Adults need to do it. And adults are like way more fun. They have more things to work with. There's like way more going on for them. Throughout your program, do you get to, do you have to at one point pick an avenue or can you go, I, I, both children and adults? No, we can, they're at, you know, like as far as school goes, we don't have to really pick a place or for our certification. Um, it's a dual master's program. So we're getting a license in clinical mental health counseling and then also specializing in drama therapy. And my school has drama therapy, music therapy, art therapy, dance movement therapy, and just like a general expressive arts therapies. So they have all of it, but we don't have to choose. And we, you know, we have some like specialized classes, but I work with kids all the time. So I've been more interested in working with adults. Yeah. You do a lot of work with laughter link, don't you? Yes. I was. So that was a part of like, it was a really beautiful mix of Tiffany reached out for me to audition last spring and I needed an internship for school. And so I made it, I passed the audition. And then I was like, Hey, can we make this work for my internship? So what we do with that is go into children's hospitals as therapeutic clowns and bring joy and laughter, or we are there in really hard moments as well. And that's something, even though my internship's over, I actually have a meeting after this, I'm sticking with therapeutic clowns. And that's really taught me that, that internship taught me how to quickly assess, like you go into a room, you feel out what's happening in the room, and then you have to make a choice. And I think performance, you know, having an improv background or any sort of performance background, it's like, I don't know how people do it or if people do it, who don't, you'd have to go in and you have to be on, but you can't, you don't want to be on in the wrong, in the wrong way. Yeah. You don't want to walk in to that kid. That's like, I'm not guys, I'm not here for this. Like, right. And then sometimes like, I, it's also taught me patience where it's like, we're not going in and just like, it's not everything's fine. Yeah. No, it's not that what we're trained not to. It's, it really is like, okay, what is happening? And where do we fit into this? And that is sometimes in the form of jokes and that's sometimes in holding somebody's hand because their child just passed away. And that sometimes the doctors are really stressed out or the nurses and we just talk to them. We just have a conversation with them about their day. It's so interesting what can be therapeutic. Yeah. And the clowns in particular, it's just like a break. It's not a, I was very nervous. I was like, I feel like I'm spitting in the face of people. Like when you go to the oncology floor, and you're like, doo, 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 doo. but I kind of had to get over that because people look forward to seeing the clowns and people, and some people are turned off and they're like, absolutely not. And the fun part is figuring out like, how can I make you like me? <laughs> but, but you were mentioning the kids too, like, and then this is what I like about drama therapy. It gives all these children who've been, they don't have any autonomy, right? They're in the hospital. People are poking and prodding them and telling them what they're going to do to their bodies. And so if a child's like, no, I don't want to see you today, that might be the only chance they get to advocate for themselves 
that week. And so we're very, you know, cognizant of that as well and say, cool, you don't want to see us? That's great. Maybe next week. And just giving them a choice point where they don't have a lot in that situation. That's true. So what did, you said you had an audition. What does auditioning to be a clown look like? It was so hard, Sterling. But you have, you're a performer. You're, you're an actor. And so I, as a performer, have a really difficult, or I did have a really difficult time being silly or looking stupid, which mm-hmm. does not make for a good actor most of like, I want to play serious roles. Sure. And so it was a lot of improv games. It was a lot clowning. So different. Do you have a background? Do you, have you taken any back? I haven't, I haven't, but Aaron has. Yeah. It's just different from improv is like, how can, don't let anything drop, go quickly. What's the next thing? Stay on top of it. And clowning has this the beauty of it is it doesn't have to be fast and you can stay in a moment. And then you're also checking in with the audience and breaking that fourth wall in the way that improv you don't do. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was a learning curve for me where it's like, we're playing these games and I'm like, I've been on improv teams. I've taken classes. I've seen second city, you know, and then not the same. And then yeah, this is not that. And then adding the layer of, I don't think I'd ever been maybe twice in my life been inside of a children's hospital. I'm working with people who also have like, they were with Ringling brothers for years. They were with Barnum and Bailey. They have these like robust backgrounds in circus. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't, I'm a princess on the weekends. Like, I don't know. There's the clowning part. And then, and then the audition also talks a lot about like, we had a lot of discussions about you're going to be in rooms with kids who are actively dying. You're going to be in rooms with kids who are actively getting better. How do you tolerate that? So a lot of what they do, which I love every quarter we have, we call it, oh, they're like mental health check-ins. What does Tiffany call it? Emotional hygiene. And I love how she words that. Oh, it's just taking cute. care of your emotional hygiene. And that's really important too, because we're seeing, you see a lot. And for the most part, a lot of us go through the hospital, like do this is our reality. And then you get home and you're like, woof, that was, that was a rough day. You have to like, yeah, I'm sure you have a lot to process. You have a ton to process and you have kind of like an acting, how you de-roll or drama therapy roll. It's like with clowning and that's the part of clowning. You know, the history of the clown is so rich and I am just like at the very tip of the iceberg with it, but there's a lot about the ritual of getting in and out of clown as well. And I think it's super important in the hospital to kind of like, whew. Yeah. Like, did I experience that or did my character experience that? Yeah. Ooh, I just got chill bumps. <laughs> what a good way to separate too. Oh, well, we could, we could talk do in depth about this. Right <laughs> do it. Um, I love clowning. I love it. I like respect the crap out of them. And there's a whole network. There's like North American Federation of Hospital Clowns. Mm-hmm. They are all these incredible professionals who have, like I said, 20 plus years. They're circus. They're aerial artists. They're incredible just at what they do. And then they've taken taken that. It's because a lot of circuses have closed or shifted. They've taken their work to the hospital, which I think is really, really beautiful. And they didn't have to. You know, it's like, oh, okay. You just end up there. There's also a lot of, I'm just blabbering on because I'm excited about it. There's also <laughs> a lot of clowns who work, um, and drama therapists who work with like dementia and Alzheimer's. 
because they're already in the state of uncertain of what their reality is, there is this playfulness that gets to happen and this joy that gets to be experienced that is somehow like apart from real life or lucid thinking, but it still affects them. They're still experienced. Like you said, like, is that me experiencing this or this is the role? It's all beautiful. (laughs) It's all beautiful. Um, Well, talk to me about unscripted healing. Unscripted healing. So that is my current name and title for how I operate and do drama therapy. I've done a few now. I've done three devising days. So what we do is meet in the morning with individuals and they've typically been on Saturdays. Meet for like four or five hours and kind of talk about whatever the prompt is. So the first one that I did, I actually got to be in person last fall. That was just about being an artist. If you've had any trauma or negative experience being an artist and you're interested in discussing that or transforming it through the lens of theater, come on out. So we did that and we created a piece allowing three individuals to really kind of like acknowledge and speak their truth of what they had experienced in the theater that hadn't been so hot. I was really wanting to do another one and COVID happened. So I switched to the virtual platform, did one on Zoom. That was about COVID, which no, everyone now is like, I don't want to see a play on COVID. And I don't either, but there were people who needed to talk about it and needed to mourn and needed to kind of transform or at least connect. And so through Unscripted Healing, had a workshop devising day and a performance with that. And then recently we had one more and that was kind of in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder. And it was open to come as you are. Like we've had a hell of a year and if you want to come and create. And then also my, my heart's always with artists. So a lot of artists came to that as well who were feeling like a part of themselves doesn't exist anymore or exists in a really different way. So I like to keep up my day of devising. I think I'm going to expand them to two days because one day is really hard for me so to do. I know that if I could not be like a regular client of yours because we have a friendship, but could I participate in a devising day? Yeah, totally. Okay. So that, that, and that's what I'm trying to figure out. And there's a whole, I mean, like, Texas licensing board and drama therapy board ethics. And there's a lot that kind of, that would have to be looked into. So like if I was working for an agency doing this, it would have to be all strangers, but because I'm doing it kind of like, this is what I'm contributing to my community, knowing that I'm going to know most of these people currently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the FBI is listening or whatever, <laughs> but currently like- We're, we're not big mean, enough for that. Yes. The FBI is everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, you totally could. Anyone that I know can, but we're also like, it's also, we know that, right? Like, you know, that you have a relationship with me. You know, that we will cross paths, not only in a therapeutic space, but in a lot of different professional spaces and social circles. So I think for most people who've participated, that lets you choose what you want to share and what you want to share. Yeah. I don't think I would ever do like individual drama day. You know, like I wouldn't work one-on-one with someone to do a performance, but in the group setting, yeah. Come on. Okay. It's so fascinating. It's so fascinating who shows up and, and, and why. And like I said, I would never show up to perform on Zoom. Yeah, it's, it's hard. And it, like, I, I know you and I were in a, um, a group chat the other day. And I said, 
you know, I have all this desire to create art right now and I have no desire to consume it. Like it's, it feels like so much more work to type in the whatever link and watch or listen than it does to like get dressed up and go get cocktails and then go to the theater and pay for part. Like that was easier to me than like the Zoom stuff. Like it just makes me sad. It does make me sad. And it also like, that makes me question like why I was going anyway. Like, was I there to watch your piece or was I there because of like what all the other things I also got out of it, which was social interaction and see, there's a little bit of CNB scene and there's a little bit of, yeah. So I did have a crisis pretty like mid quarantine or mid until this point where I was like, do I even like theater? Like, do I even have, I just, was I just con because it was something I was like a very outspoken child and my parents put me in it. And then people told me I was good at it. Do I actually like it? (laughs) And I think I do, but the drama therapist in me is like, what, how has our role shifted? Right. Cause we we're still audience. Our role is still audience, but being audience in your home is very different between being audience. And, and I don't think it's because of how you're viewing. I don't think it's the screen. I'll watch TV all day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe I'm a crappy person and I'm just like Yeah, I mean it it is true like I used to um it was really weird because bef- I was still very new. I've been here for a, na- a year now, so I can't say I'm new hey, anymore. Yeah, I, can. <laughs> I still say I'm new. I've been here for 3 years. <laughs> but I would go to a performance and recognize people because they were in the audition room with me two or three weeks before. So it was that weird thing of like, I know you, but I don't know you. And yeah, it it was a little bit about being seen or making, taking a picture of your playbill and like all of those other things that come with it, which is so weird. But I had that moment when we were in Los Angeles where I think Every teacher, mentor, and professional at one point was like, if you just stay here and you keep showing up, you will make it. And I was reading Jenna Fisher's book, which is incredible. And she said, you know, I was here for eight years before I got traction. And I had a moment where I was like, I'm not staying here for eight years. I am not living with five roommates and working six jobs. Like I don't want it bad enough. And there was, I had to like deal with that and then deal with the shame that comes with that because you're taught all through education. You have to be willing, you have to do anything. You have to be cutthroat. And I had to be okay with the fact that it wasn't the most important thing in the world to me. Right which was hard. It was like an identity thing where I was like, Oh, before I moved to Dallas, like I was an actor and I feel like here I've done a few things, but not like I understudied two shows (laughs) that took a lot of time, but like, I don't, I don't feel like anybody here sees me as a performer. And so that's also a weird, like, Hmm. Yeah. It's this weird thing of like theater theater got shut down, but I wasn't going to get any of those jobs anyways. Right. right? So I'm like, sad about what? Sad about what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think our identity, that's a huge, that's a huge thing. And I often think about like what other profession is 
anything, like asks us to do the same thing. And I don't know. I don't know if there is one. I know our market is certainly smaller, but I just, I think it is this time where the theaters are shut down, I think can be a really important moment for us to revamp and revise the culture of theater. Number one, it needs to happen, (laughs) period. And number two, like what was, what we were doing wasn't really working. Like theaters needed money. They needed audience members. They couldn't figure out a season that people would want to come to. The focus was maybe not where it needed to be or where we thought it needed to be. So I think this time is, is maybe what will save theater. Cause I'm one of those people who's like, you can say theater will last and it will in our backyards, but I just, I don't know. And then going back to what you just said as an odd, like what are other people getting from plays? If I can't even, if it's for me, like going and meeting people within my industry, why would somebody go to it that had no buy-in unless they just like, but like, I'll go to the, I'll go to the art museum, but I do that like once a year. Right. So like, I don't know. Hmm. It's yeah. It this we've had a lot of time to think about this with all of this, um, you know, free time. <laughs> it's like I don't want the like I would love theater to be a lot more mainstream. Yeah, I went to a networking event for my day job back in October, maybe, and I. Was supposed to be there for my day job, but I of course started talking about theater and acting. <laughs> and this girl was like, "Oh, that would be a fun date night." And I was like, "Yes, yes, it would be a fun date night. Isn't that so different than what you're used to do? Like, stop going to Chili's, stop going to the movie theater. Like, do this for less than the price of a movie ticket." Yes. And you're going to have such a cool experience. And I got really excited because I was like, oh, some people just don't know that. And like, we kind of take it for granted. Like, why aren't people coming to the theater? I need like all the Instagram influencers to like, they need to start taking the bite picture and pictures of their playbill. So other people like the bite picture, (laughs) they will know that you can do it. I think it, it, you know, it's like, I... I've been a nanny off and on for my whole life, it feels like. But the families I generally nanny for have money. And it is a status symbol for them. Like, we have box seats with the Dallas Summer Musicals. And I think that's really hard because I try to be like, this is not something for wealthy people only. Like, there are affordable tickets, but knowing that people still see it as like a, we are season subscribers for Dallas summer musical. Yeah. We consume art. and like, that's very highbrow. And it's not, it's like, it's really, it's really not. Yeah. Not. I don't know. I don't, the audience, we kind of talked about this at my meeting. The audience has become less of my focus because I don't have an answer. And I feel like I'm just beating my head against a wall. So my hyper focus has gone on to performers and artists. How can I make this the best experience for you if you're working with me. How can I make this, if we're doing something therapeutic, how can I really lock into you and what you need in this moment? And we work together to transform whatever you're working on. It feels like there is, if you want like an answer, if you're like results oriented, like I am, it feels like, okay, here's the thing. We did the thing. I can check the box easier than the audience where I'm like, here's the thing. 
don't know how to check the box. I don't know if there should be a box. It gets too confusing. It's a puzzle meant to fix, but I can focus on the actors and that is my job. And I can focus on stage management and I can focus on, you know, whoever my designers are around me. Going off of that, and you touched on this a few minutes ago, drama can be therapeutic, but you were talking about a lot of artists have a lot of traumatic experiences that took place doing a show or being in rehearsal, racial prejudice, body hate, unwanted advances, like raise your hand if you had to take your shirt off at an audition, like most girls have. Uh, How can we make sure we're creating safe rehearsal spaces either for ourselves or if we're in the position to create that for others? How can we do that? That's such a good question. It sounds easy. Like, oh, just don't be an asshole. (laughs) I think that's where I, I also keep thinking of like this great quarantine theater rapture will just like all the people who were crappy and harmful they will just disappear and so will their companies um Mm -hmm. but that's not probably true in a way I do feel the tide turning I feel like women especially are a lot more are feeling a lot more support for one another and being vocal but then like two days ago there's like another post in DFW of a woman sharing her story of sexual harassment. And it's like, just as soon as I think like, okay, like we're taking steps forward, something else comes up. And I don't, I don't have any answers how to, how to fix people who are abusive because they are also broken people and they are also a product of a system and they have their work to do. But I do know what I can control in my own rehearsal room. And that is I do check-ins. Like, I think it's really important and people, actors will butt their heads again. Like, I will not do a check. We've talked about this before. Like, we're not doing a check-in, Emily. That's not professional because the standard of what's professional is like things that are harmful. And so even having people who have been in abusive situations or negative situations, when we first started Lily and Joan and we're trying to move towards something that is open dialogue, that is We have a company manager that's there that you can call and talk to about anything. We have a whole list of, if you can't talk to this person, you talk to this person. And then we still had people butt against it because it felt so foreign to be taken care of and felt like, well, this is, this is more like community theater for us to like hold hands before the show, you know? And that was fascinating to me, Sterling, that was like, we're offering something, we're doing something different because something different needs to happen. And we are so used to not being treated the way that we want to be treated, that being treated kindly or respectfully is off-putting. I just still have charged straight ahead and say like, we're doing check-ins. Here's a whole list of people. I think bringing in intimacy directors, we have a few great intimacy directors in town. Put that into your budget, you know, people. Put it into your budget and make it happen because it's important. It's important to have an extra pair of eyes. I also believe in doing like pre and post-show um, interviews or like little survey monkeys that are anonymous because we need to hear what's going on. And I do, I run a company that is, I would say like smaller stakes, right? So people probably aren't worried about burning a bridge with me as they are with other people. So I feel like people are more comfortable saying, dear Emily, you fucked up here, here, and here. And that's great. I would like to continue to be that way <laughs> or at, yeah, I would. Um, I don't, it's so hard because you can't, I can't tell people to feel comfortable with me and I can only, I can try to create 
one that is, I can create a space and I'm still growing and learning. And I also am not, when I'm your director, I'm, I'm not your therapist. And that's tricky for me where it's like, we do have a job to get done. We do have a, a role to do. We have to put on a play. That's why I think designating time, like before the, before rehearsal, after rehearsal, having an open door policy, like all of that, I think just generates conversation and comfortability where people feel safe advocating for themselves and for others, you know? Yeah. And, and if, if every theater did that, it would make it easier. You know, if I do end up getting a job where the male director is making lewd comments, then I know, oh, I have these three other people who aren't going to wrap me out and just take care of it with who it needs to be taken care of with. And I'm not going to get like blacklisted. Right. And I think I live in an alternate reality. And maybe it's because I haven't been auditioning, but I feel like it's just, it's still, and this is my ignorance. It's just so shocking to me that like people make those comments, number one, and think there's no consequence. And that there's no, when, because I've heard stories where it's like, okay, yeah, the producers have been told and still nothing, like the director's still working and nothing's happening. I don't know. I feel like, I don't understand. I can't comprehend how that is the case. Yeah. I can't comprehend not thinking about what you're saying before you say it. Like, I feel like I get myself out of a lot of trouble by just saying the sentence in my head (laughs) and then saying it out loud or deciding that doesn't need to be said. The theater that I grew up in, the woman who was in charge of the education department, she is no longer working there because she came from that old school, like, what we're calling old school. Yeah. But it's just toxic and harmful and not okay. Like we're just taught to deal with the comments that are said about our talent or our body or anything. She came from that. So I did, I also grew up thinking like, this is the professional standard. Like I'm working in a Lort house. This is what, this is all I've known since I'm 13. So for me, it was a rewire, similarly to the people who came to work for us when we first started. Like it was a rewiring of my brain of like, oh, I don't have to be talked to the way that people are telling me, well, this is how the industry is. There are plenty of really good people out there that are also exceptionally talented. Because I thought, and maybe you were too, I just felt like I was taught like, well, the people who are in power are assholes and you need to accept that. Like, that's just what it is. I just remembered this as you were saying it, but I did a seminar in high school where they brought a Broadway producer to us to speak. And I remember him saying, I don't know who it was, but I remember him saying, Hey, typically when you get to that final audition, when you're really about to be considered, it's usually you, one other person who's just as good as you and the producer's girlfriend that are in the room with you. And I was like, huh? I'm like 16, like getting smacked with that information. And what what would happen if we were taught like, Hey, there, there are really kind artists who care about you and who do incredible work. Those people are out there and they are producing on Broadway. They are award-winning director. Like, because then our expectation would it would be weird. We're like, well, why is this person a dick? And we might not have the, we might not just have the like overall acceptance of like, well, this is just how things are. And that's really why I started going into education was like, no, no, like 
even through college, I was taught things that are just not, that weren't necessarily the case. Or that idea, because I remember meeting with agents and when my husband did his showcase in New York, when he met with agents, instead of having this idea of like, oh, it's such an honor to be called back. Thank you so much. I will take, you can talk about how how my body looks and you can talk about what I can't do and all of this stuff because I'm just happy to be here in this room with you. And I got really lucky and I had agents that were like, that's bullshit. If they don't like this part about you, then they're not the agents for you. Exactly. That's so good that that's what you experienced. Yes. But I also, I was with Aaron when he went to see agents in New York, which is a totally different breed of agents than the Southern California agents, <laughs> but who were just mean. And I was like, you do not know. We, we are out of here. Like, no. You yeah. have to go. <laughs> it's like, and that's really the, like, I, you know, I started this saying like, I want to make money or just more money. And then I want to work with artists who have, no money. But there's so many stories like that where it's like, I never want someone to stop doing something that at one point gave them joy because they had a bad experience or a traumatic experience. And that may take time. But I, what I would love to do is like, if working with Lillian Joan or unscripted healing is a like almost incubator of like, I've been burned before. Let me try this out in a safe way that I know I'm going to be supported and maybe reignite that love for themselves or for the art form. That's what I want to do. I don't want someone to feel like I can't do this because I'm a certain size or I can't do this because my voice isn't whatever I'm supposed to be hitting. Now Broadway's just nutso where people's <laughs> insane, right? I just don't want, I don't want people to experience, like, I feel like I totally... I have no confidence in my performance. And so that like, that's my work to do, but it's why I so care to work with artists because I think it's such a damn shame. Mm -hmm. It's such a shame to have somebody. And this is like not even talking about like the sexual harassment and then also abuse that happens. That's, that takes a lot more, right? That that, that episode is coming. And that makes you really like, I'm sure you're not really eager to like, okay, well, let's try it one more time. Let's go, you know, the trust, the trust isn't there, but just, I'm an optimist and I know so many good artists and by good, I mean like kind and considerate mm-hmm. and that you could talk to and that aren't going to hold something over your head mm-hmm. that it's like, just go work for them instead. But it's hard. It's hard. And I really, and I worry a lot about young artists, like the age of people like just graduating college. Cause that's when I was the most impressionable. And that's when I experienced the most really like life redirecting negativity about myself and my art form. And so like, if I can get into colleges or like people just graduating college, that's where I want to be. Chef's kiss. Like, I just want to be there with you and punch all the people who say negative things to you until they don't exist until they don't. Because what does that do? Like, it doesn't do anything except for make people, some people feel better and some people feel worse, but I don't think it, I just don't know what people get out of being in a dick. What would you do? Like this person's 20 pounds heavier. Does that really matter? Is your yeah. ticket really different? Are they? Well, now we've, have we talked about this? where like agents in New York are going to auditions. They're like, they want to know how many Instagram followers you have. 
we haven't talked about that, but that was a big part of my experience in Los Angeles. I had to take it with a grain of salt because I was like, is that because I had someone tell me, oh, they told me I didn't get the role because she had 30,000 followers and I had 2000. And I was like, they were either trying to let you down easy or she was equally as good as you. And they said, you know what? Marketing is key. And we just, this was the only thing in between you and that role. And then that's what, because then what we're asking actors to do and what we're asking artists to do is a lot, like it's always been a lot. We've always known that we have to self-market and we always know that we have to, there's a lot that we have to do that costs a lot of money that cause a huge separation in, you know, once we talk about like represent race representation, it's just a whole minefield of yuck. Yeah. It's icky. It's icky because I have now having to like, okay, I have Adobe suite now, or I downloaded this app and I'm making these graphics and my time is spent on stuff that is not performance based. And I think it's crap because if you are, if you're a banker or if you're a doctor, or if you are a teacher, God bless all those professions, but it's like, well, teachers now these days are having to do a lot, lot more, but, but it's like, that's what they, you get to do your job. You get to do your job. You prepared for your job, went to school for your job. You do your job. You get paid to do your job. Not you do your job, but you also have to do 40 extra hours worth of work to even get to do yeah. your job. To market yourself. And yeah, we didn't go, we didn't go to school for marketing. We went to yeah. school and did Meisner back and forth And that's not a really successful marketing tool, I don't think. I, for a very long time, um, I remember taking my social media for for actors-specific class in Southern California. And for like three months, everything, everything we did was like, can you take a picture of me? Can you take a picture of me? Can we, can we actually, can we go over here and take a picture? And it was like, I, I can, I know I'm annoying people. I feel it. Look at all this time I'm spending on editing or look at all this time we spent taking that picture and I don't even like any of them. So I hate all of them. <laughs> that with Arts District, I just, I try to make sure, you know, my feed looks pretty, but my stories, I was like, okay, I'm going to promise that the stories are real and Hey, I'm glad you like the episode. My microphone is connected with Christmas lights because it's the only thing that reached, you know, like stuff like that. Because I was like, I have to keep it real. My couch behind me. Yeah. It has rips in it because my parents, Great Dane got on it and they gave me this couch for free. Like I, I'm not here to pretend that everything is, uh, Valencia tinted. So the folklore. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I think that the wear and tear that is on being a theater artist, or even I'm sure the same is for film artists. It just, I want to be able to provide an outlet that does not have to require you to do any of that. Yeah. I want you, I don't care. I'm not going to look up your Instagram. I don't, right. don't care. Or if I do, it's just to make sure you're not like an ax murderer. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> and I get, I mean, as a producer, I get it. You, when somebody comes in, you're like, cool, they've been in a lot of shows and them being in the show means other people who've seen them in other shows will probably come. Like 
I get that part. It's not that I don't. It's just that's not anything that actors I feel like should have to worry about. What you need to worry about, memorize that monologue, make sure it represents who you are, drink some water, and just like have some freaking fun. Like that's really all you need to worry about. Like that's all I want them to worry about. With that, what are three things? Can you give us three things that we should be doing every day to take care of ourselves? That feels so powerful. It's funny that you do this because I make my students at the end of every class, we do three things um, is what I call it. Three things that you're, you want to thank the group for and three things you want to bring to next session. We only do three things. I think I'm going to go back to drinking water. Just really believe in it. It's good for your body. It's good little break. It's, I just, you're never going to, drinking water, I don't think ever is a bad choice for you and your mental health. I've heard, tell me if you've heard this, half of your body weight in ounces. Yeah. It's like, yeah, should be your goal. That's what I, I tried to do that. I was doing this like 90 days when quarantine first started, just as a way, like a 90 day challenge to move your body for 20 minutes every day, drink half your weight in ounces, like read three chapters of a book, like little things to keep your brain moving when we were really not sure what was going on. The optimistic part of quarantine. (laughs) Yeah. And then people really shit on that too. They were like, (laughs) how dare you try to be optimistic right now? That is toxic positivity. And I was like, it might be toxic for you. It's keeping me alive. (laughs) Sorry, me drinking water is upsetting to you. it is. It's hard. We play the comparison game, but drinking water. I also like, I have a gratitude practice and it's really, really hard. And that goes back to toxic positive. Some people really feel like, well, I have nothing to be grateful for, but, um, me and Matt do it every night for a while. I did five and he did three. You just pick what you can do. Yeah. And it was funny with Matt because he, he was like, he needed them to be which I think a lot of people fall into these gratitudes need to be like really big, special, Mm. well-thought things. And I'm like, okay, cool. The sun was shining through my window in like a cool way that brought me a little joy this morning. Like that's number one. Uh, the Waterloo that I had was bomb. Like that's number two. And just having a little gratitude practice, I think brings you back to the present moment, which is really great for my mental health and my anxiety. And I don't think there's anything toxic about being appreciative of what you have. I don't. I'll go to bat for that. And the third thing, oh man, what can we do for mental health? Drink water, practice gratitude. I'm a big believer in being outside. Go get your tushy outside. Go get some sun. Just, I just reconnecting with the earth. I'm pretty hippy dippy. I think it's, I mean, scientifically too, the ions that you get from the ground just connecting with nature, I think for three to five minutes, you are, your mood is elevated and you're, you're looking at something different. And I have been in the pits of depression and I have pretty interesting, uh, history with my anxiety. And I know in the moment, those things can feel really trite or impossible or eye roll, like, don't tell me drink water. Don't tell me to go take a walk. Right. Um, but I think it's okay to do things that you don't want to do. And then, then they can still help you. I think like, it's okay if you don't want to do it. Yeah. So that's what Devin said last time we talked, she said, self-care is self-discipline or self-discipline is self-care. And it's not fun. Like, I don't, 
want to always drink water. Like I would love some champagne most of the time, (laughs) but it's those things that add up over time that I think are really, really what can make a difference in the long run, but just really bring you back to what is happening in the here and now what's happening in this moment. What's in front of me. I also, this was going around when quarantine started the like five senses, like what are five things you can see, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste three things you can hear. They, it's more eloquent than that. Coming back to the moment is really good for, I'll speak to my mental health. It's really good for my mental health. So you're talking about being outside. Do you have a favorite hike or trail in Dallas? No, I don't have one in Dallas. Um, What's your favorite of all time? I do like, well, I'm from Arkansas. I'm from Arkansas. It's a natural state. It's really freaking beautiful. So there's a lot of good hiking trails there, but I, in Dallas, you know, go to White Rock Lake, walk around. It's crowded. I also, I'm a big like believer of sitting on a porch just to get outside. I've applied for a community garden to be a part of, to grow some vegetables in community. We've gone out to, is it like Oak Cliff Nature Preserve? Have you been out there? I haven't. That one's pretty good. Um, Matt and I also, if you want to do like a short drive, we went down to Waco and we stayed in a container home out distanced away from everyone. But Waco has some really beautiful, just like lookouts and hiking trails. Texas is kind of tricky. I would love yeah. to get down to Big Bend. Yeah. Are there places you go? So there's actually a, a trail by my house that I had always seen while driving, but I didn't realize that there's like a wooded forest behind it and the trail goes through that. And I didn't discover that until quarantine and was walking my dog for like an hour a day. That was again, the early optimistic part. I was so happy with just that. And that I could walk to the trail to start the trail. That was really nice. That's the thing too. You said you're like, I was happy with that. And it's like, we were, I feel like is, is chaotic as March and April were like, I was at a really healthy. I was because mentally healthy place. There was a lot going on around me, but it was like, I had blinders. I was like, what can I do to survive in this moment? What can I do to survive? It was going on an hour walk. I was in Northwest Arkansas a few weekends ago with my family. And my aunt goes on two hour walks every morning at this, around this lake. And so we did that. And it's like, woof, five miles, but just, it just looking at water and being around nature and people are happier outdoors. And I don't care if you go out there with like a hoodie and it's pulled up and you're angry. Like, I just don't think you can't, something shifts, something shifts in you. And why not, why not put your, if you have the energy and the capability, putting yourself in the way of, of change, putting yourself in the way of maybe feeling a little bit differently, I think is important. Yeah, that's good. It's not easy. I will not say it's easy. Well, how, Emily, can people reach you if they want to learn more about unscripted healing or they know someone who would benefit from the services you offer? Where can we reach you and find you? Uh, Yeah, you can follow me at unscripted underscore healing on Instagram. I also have a website, unscripted underscore healing. I believe it's currently a Weebly address which is lame, <laughs> but I have emilypfaith.com and it's like, you can't, I can't pay for two domains right yeah, now. Well, you got to start somewhere. It's not the time. Um, but I also like feel anybody feel free to email me emilypfaith.com. 
at gmail.com. That's what I am. I should know my own life. I'm also, you asked, I'm going to ask a bonus one. Go to therapy. Like if you can go, I'm starting this week. I don't want to, I don't want to, it's not affordable and I need to go. So I believe that there's always a way. So I found somebody who is offering me a very, very low rate and who is now everybody's virtual for right now. So he's not even in Dallas. He's in another part of Texas. So I would just encourage people, maybe take advantage of this time that we are virtual because um, if you can't find something that is in your budget in Dallas, a lot of therapists are also looking for clients right now. And check out Austin, check out Houston, check out Waco. Yeah, that was my bonus point. Yes, thank you so much, Emily. And thank you for your honesty throughout throughout all of this. Oh, thanks, Sterling. And yeah. thank you for having me. And thank you for yours. I love, I always love chatting with you. Yeah, well, enjoy the rest of your week. And I hope that we can chat soon, you know, off air. Off air. No <laughs> one gets to know. No one needs to know. All right, bye, Sterling. Bye. Y'all, what an incredible conversation. Ah, I feel so fulfilled after that. Check out Emily's Instagram that's dedicated to her drama therapy practice. It's at unscripted underscore healing or keep up with her at emilypfaith.com. Thank you again for listening. I really, really appreciate everyone that has said nice things and inspiring words and written about us and followed us on social media. You guys are really, really wonderful. Again, do this for me. Go leave a written review on whatever platform you are listening to, a five-star review. Okay. Have a great week. We will catch you next time.